All right, so I start the day with some bad news. Bad news is I didn't bring my family. I know, I know. Uh, kids are back at home. They are super cute. And here's the even worse news. I didn't even put pictures up. Roger was like, why don't you put some pictures up of your family? He's like, I didn't even think about it. So you're gonna have to stop me on your way out and demand pictures because I got them and they're cute. Uh, but here's the thing. Three little kids all under the age of five on an airplane. Not something that I'm like anxious to do. So, you know, we'll get there eventually. Uh, but my youngest just turned two, two days ago, which means I now pay full price for all three of them. So here we are. No, but I'm missing them already. Um, can't wait to get back to them. But I look forward to the day that I can bring the whole crew and you guys can see them love on them because for most of you, you've met my oldest, but not the others. So we'll get that, we'll get that happening here as soon as possible. But guys, this morning, I'm really excited to share with you. I realized something though during first services I was sharing about halfway in and I'm like, you know what? I'm pretty sure I've given this message before. And I'm pretty sure I've given the same exact message just about every time I've ever taught here. And it was a really good moment for me to realize, you know, I think that as pastors, we do this thing where we just, we want to share with everyone the message that's changed our lives. And so as you go to different churches, meet different pastors, you'll find that certain pastors kind of just have their thing. They just kind of seem to be hammering in on the same thing over and over again. And you're like, it's like 66 books in here. <laughs> a little more creative, you know? But it really is, is that as, as pastors, we want to share the message that's changed our hearts. And, and so that's this morning, that's what I want to bring again, is it's, it's things I've shared before, but it's the message that has changed and is continuing to change my heart. And so I want to continue to bring it because it's what's fresh, it's what's alive for me. Um, I would much rather bring something from a bubbling brook than from just a stagnant pond somewhere. So I want to bring what's fresh on my heart. And, and to do that, I just, I want to start out by just being honest with you guys and let you know that for me, I think one of the biggest temptations of my life has been to focus on what I'm doing on the outside, on the external side of things, especially in ministry, and to neglect what's happening in my own heart, to neglect what's going down on what's going on down under the surface. And for me, to be, if I'm going to be honest with you, this place that I'm at right now, this is a relatively dangerous place for me, and I found that to be true over my life, is that when I'm in ministry, when I'm doing outward ministry, when I'm up on stage, everyone looking at me, and I'm standing in the back, and everyone's shaking my hands, telling me how great I did, that's a dangerous place for me to be. Because what that can do in my heart is that can tell me that I've arrived. I've figured it out. I'm some kind of a spiritual guru. I must be doing something right. And I can start to think that it's all about the way that I appear to everyone else. Everyone else thinks I'm doing great, so I must be doing great. And it can be easy for me to ignore what's actually going on in my own heart and neglect even the things that are happening in my own heart. And as I've grown in life and in ministry, what I've begun to find is that the things that are in my heart, they don't go away. They bear fruit. And the fruit that comes out of my heart isn't always fruit that I enjoy seeing. And so as life has gone on and I've spent more and more time in ministry, I've begun to feel the need more and more and more that yes, what I do outwardly in ministry, serving others, preaching God's word, those kinds of things, so important, but far less important than allowing the spirit to do his work in my own heart. If I'm doing all these outward things, but I'm not allowing the spirit of God to change me, to transform me, to make me more like Jesus, then all of this fruit is gonna wither and die. And we've seen this. We all could name at least a couple of pastors who we all would look at and be like, whoa, what amazing men of God, only to find out later on that their lives behind the scenes were drastically different than what any of us would have expected. 
We can just open basically any book of the scriptures and find the same story. Men and women who outwardly were doing incredible things for God and yet you pull the veil back and in their personal lives, they're broken people and their brokenness is coming out in all kinds of destructive ways. One of the ones that stands out to me the most as I was just even thinking about this morning was, was Samson, a guy who, man, when he needed it, when the enemies are coming, when the Philistines are attacking, the Holy Spirit comes on him and all of a sudden he's, you know, enraged and he's ripping lions apart and killing people with a, you know, with just a, what, donkey's jawbone or whatever. He's doing all these incredible things and yet as soon as this moment of the Holy Spirit filling him is over and he goes back to his life, you see he's a broken person. He's a person who just keeps going back to his sin over and over and over again and can't seem to help it. And so while he's doing these great things outwardly for God in his own life, there's just this brokenness. And I just want to say that if that feels like you, welcome to the conversation, you know. I, I, can't, I can't tell you what that has felt like in my life, the burden that has felt like of, yes, I want to do these great things for God and I, and I want to do outward things for God, but at the same time, sometimes my heart just feels so messed up and I, and I need the Spirit to be working and changing and doing something in me. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about, because we're in a series on the Holy Spirit, and I want to just talk about what does the internal, the inside heart ministry of the Holy Spirit look like? Because the externals are actually kind of easy. It's easy when you hear a message about tithing to be like, I'll just give more money. Or you hear a message about helping the poor, be like, I'll just help the poor more. Or a message about anything, and you're just like, all right, well, I'll just do something differently to change this behavior, to change my external behavior in some way. But when we start talking about the Holy Spirit changing our hearts, actually getting deep down into who we are and, and transforming us to be like Jesus, that's where it can begin to be a bit more fuzzy. How does that happen? How do I change? How do I grow? Do I just read my Bible and pray and hope for the best? What does it look like? So I want to spend just a little bit of time today exploring what is the Holy Spirit actually doing in your heart? How is he actually helping us to grow? And are there ways that we can kind of like lean into that and take part in that process? And are there ways that we can kind of lean away from it and slow that process or, or stunt it in our lives? And just discuss a little bit of what does it look like to really give the spirit freedom to change us, to make us more like Jesus? Because at the end of the day, that's what we need. Yes, we need people doing ministry and doing great things for God, but we need people who are able to do that from a heart that is full of the Lord's love. And that we see this over and over again in the scripture. Jesus saying things like, a healthy tree is what produces healthy fruit. The fruit that we're gonna produce from our lives, it has to come from a place of, of having healthy hearts. We see this coming from Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 when he talks about all the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. And he says like, man, I could speak in tongues of men and of angels and I could do miracles and all these great acts of power and I could offer my body to be you know, burned all for the sake of God's glory. I could do all of that and if I don't have love, I'm nothing. Saying that if my heart hasn't been changed, if I haven't been transformed on the inside, I could do all this awesome stuff and it would just be me. It would be fruit that's going to wither on the vine. And so we really want to give ourselves, give attention to how do we focus on what God is doing in our hearts. And so to do that this morning, uh, I want us to just to take a look at a passage in Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to turn to Romans chapter 8. We're just going to be looking at two verses, Romans 8, 26 through 27.
And in this passage, we're going to get just a little bit of an insight into what the Holy Spirit is doing in our hearts. It says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So this passage here gives us just a little bit of an insight into what it is that the Spirit is actually doing in our hearts. And the first thing that we see when we look at this passage is we see that it starts out by saying that we have a weakness. And we're going to talk just in just a second about what that weakness is. But we have a weakness. But on the flip side of that weakness, what we see is that the Spirit knows a few things. He knows four or five things that we can see in this passage. The first thing that the Spirit knows is the Spirit knows our hearts. He knows the depths of our hearts what's in there. He's there. He's exploring. He's searching. He's knowing us at the depths of who we are. The second thing that he knows is he knows the mind and the will of God. Now, when we're talking about the will of God, just a little aside here, when we talk about the will of God, especially today, we're generally not talking about the will of God for your particular life of like God's will for you to move into this house or to marry this person or to buy that car or to pay off debt at this rate, whatever. We're talking more broadly about God's will in terms of his desire for you to walk with him, to know him, to bear fruit, to to have a a heart and a life that's full of of love and of health. So when we look at this, we see that the spirit knows the mind and the will of God specifically for your life. So he knows your heart. He knows the mind and the will of God for your life. He also knows the massive gap that can exist between those two things. The huge gap that can exist between where your heart's at and what God's desire is for your life, right? Where you're actually at in your life and what we all know God would want for our lives. He sees how those things aren't in alignment. And not only does he see this, but the last thing he sees is that he sees the solution. He knows exactly what we need. He knows precisely what it's gonna take for us to grow and mature into who God desires for us to be. And so he's praying specifically for those things. And we see this this in the passage, that he's interceding for us based off of what he's seeing in our hearts. So he sees our hearts, he knows the mind and heart of God, and he's praying that our hearts would come into alignment with the will of God for our lives. So this is what the Spirit is actively doing inside of you right now. In this moment, the Spirit who searches, knows your heart, is praying for you, crying out to the Father, praying specifically for the things that you need in order to grow. But now let's take a step back and just think for a second then. What is our weakness then in this passage? Our weakness is that we don't know any of that stuff. We don't know any of it. I don't know my own heart. And that becomes more and more true the older that I get. I have no idea what's going on in my own heart. I don't know why I do so many of the things that I do. As I've mentioned, I have three little kids that I love dearly. And sometimes when they're doing something and it's loud and somebody's annoying, I'll snap and I'll say a harsh word or I'll correct my kid in a way that I just see their face go from this happy face to this like crumbled, broken face. And in my heart, it's just this crushing, oh, why did I do that? There's about 12 different ways I could have done that better. Why did I do that? And why have I done that so many times already? Or I'll be getting lunch with a friend and we'll have an hour to spend together and I talk for the entire hour. 
and the time comes for us to leave, we're getting up, and I realize I didn't ask them a single question about themselves. And I'm like, what am I doing? I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to act like that. Why do I do these things? I can't tell you how many times it happens throughout my life and in my days that it's just I act and I do things and I wonder, what is going on in my heart to motivate this? You know, Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is going on in my heart that's just leading to these things happening over and over and over again? And to be honest, while some things become clearer over time, like, oh, maybe that's why I do this. Maybe that's why I act that way. The truth is, is that my own heart remains a mystery to me. I don't understand it. I don't understand why I do so many of the things that I do. The other piece, though, that I don't understand is I don't really understand the heart or the will of God. His ways are not my ways. His thoughts are not my thoughts. In a lot of ways, I'm incapable of understanding his will for my life and all the things that he has for me. So I really don't even have a hope of understanding that side of things either. And in all reality, I don't understand the gap that exists between those two things either. I probably think most days that I'm doing much better than I am. I probably think, oh yeah, I'm doing all right. And if I take a step back and I actually look at my heart, actually look at where I'm at internally, I can be like, oh yeah, no. Outwardly maybe, but inwardly, yeah, no, I'm, I'm far from, from really being conformed to the image of Christ. And so as I look at this though, there's so much that I don't understand. I don't understand my own heart. I don't understand the mind of God. And I don't even have really any clue of how to, how to navigate that gap. I don't know how to grow myself spiritually. I know how to read the Bible and I know how to pray, but I don't know how to change. I don't know how to change my own heart. If I did, I certainly would. When the Bible says, you know, be angry but do not sin, if I knew how to just do that, then I would. But I read that passage and I'm like, great, how? How do I do this? How do I change? And so I read this passage and I'm reminded, yes, no, I have a weakness. And my weakness is that I know very little and the one thing I know probably the least about is how to actually change, how to actually grow and become more like Jesus. But the great encouragement of this passage is that I don't have to know because the Spirit knows. The Spirit knows all of those things and he is actively praying for me specifically about the things that I need prayer for. Not vaguely, but knowing the depths of my heart, praying for me specifically. So I want to just take a moment and I want to pause and I want to think about that for a second. Because I think that it, for many of us, the way that we look at God impacts this a bunch. And the way that we think that God looks at impacts this a bunch. Because my thought, most often, is that when the Holy Spirit is looking into my heart, examining and seeing what's going on, that most of the time, he has the same reaction that I do when he sees sin, or he sees brokenness, or he sees insecurity, or any of those things, is to go, oh, ugh, I don't want to look at that. Because as soon as I see those things in myself, I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to look at this right now. And I have this like moment of shame, embarrassment, like, I don't want to deal with that, ugh. And I just assume that the Holy Spirit, when he sees it, he's thinking the same thing, like, oh gosh, come on, man. How many years did you go to Sunday school? I mean, come on. How many years have you spent going to Bible colleges and seminaries? Really, this still? I died for your sins. This is the best you could do? I mean, come on. This is the way that I'm thinking that the Spirit is seeing me and responding to what's in my heart. But this passage contains for us just a little bit of an insight to help us understand the way that God sees you when he sees your sin, when he sees your brokenness, when he sees your insecurity, your inabilities. It says this. It says that he intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I want to just take a moment and, and focus in on what's being said there. 
He's not saying that he intercedes for us with grumblings too deep for words. As if he's like, oh, Father, help this guy. Goodness. Or, oh, again with that? Okay, well, here we go. It's not these grumblings that the Spirit has of, oh, how many years am I going to have to invest into this idiot? But instead, it's deep compassion. Deep, painful empathy of, oh, gosh, oh, I see that broken place. Father, help him. Oh, I see that hurt, that insecurity, that pain, that regret, that shame. I see it. And instead of being annoyed by it, he's deeply empathetic, deeply compassionate, moved with compassion to cry out to the Father, help him. I think of Jesus as he pulls onto the shore after he's just heard that John the Baptist was killed. And he should be having this moment when He's by himself, reflecting, sad, but instead he comes onto the shore and he sees all these people around who want something from him. And instead of seeing them and being like, oh, these annoying people, I need some space. My best friend, my cousin just died. Like, give me a, just give me a beat. Instead of that, he steps onto the shore and it says that he was moved with compassion for them because he saw that they were sheep without a shepherd. And I just think that this is the spirit when he sees us, when he sees our hearts and the things that we have going on and our problems, instead of being like, oh, these people, come on, he is moved with compassion to draw near to us and to cry out for us and say, he needs help. He needs help, and he needs it right here. This is a place of his heart that's still broken, hasn't been healed yet. He needs help right there, and he cries out to the Father, heal him. Cries out to the Father, love him here. So the Spirit's ministry in your heart is not one of condemnation. The Spirit's ministry in your heart is not one of just exposing all of your weaknesses to say, ew, gross, change, do better. But the Spirit's ministry in your heart is one that is filled with compassion. As he looks and searches and finds what's there, he is compassionate towards you. And he cries out on your behalf. And so this is good news, to know that when I'm seen, I'm not shamed. When I'm seen, I'm not... uh, disliked or unwanted, but rather when I'm seen, I'm seen with compassion. So he's doing this. He's praying to the Father compassionately for you. At the same time, the Spirit's doing something for us as well. And this is conviction. The Spirit brings conviction into our lives. And conviction is kind of a dirty word. It's not a word that we like to think about because conviction is one that we always, almost always associate with guilt and with shame and feelings of I'm sorry, I'll do better next time. That's kind of what we usually tend to assume conviction is about. But this is not conviction. Conviction, by the Holy Spirit, certainly is when he pulls back the veil for us and lets us see, hey, here's areas of your life that are broken. Here's ways that you've acted. Here's lies that you're believing. Here's patterns of of disbelief. Here's things in your life that kind of exist in this gap between where you're really at, and and what God's will ultimately would be for your life. He'll allow us to see those things. And when he does, when he allows us to see our anger, or our lust, or our jealousy, or our self-centeredness, or any of those things, our natural reaction is to be like, oh gosh, like I'll be standing in church sometimes, and I'll be singing a worship song, and everything will be great. I'm having a great morning, singing a song, supposed to be encouraged, and that's when the Holy Spirit chooses to like use one word on the screen to just do a little knife straight to my heart, a little bit of conviction, and I'll just be standing there, and I just, I can feel it in my face, just goes, oh gosh, I don't want that, it's like just getting punched in the gut sometimes. 
You're not ready for it, you're not expecting it. And this will happen sometimes when we're singing songs, it'll happen when we're reading scripture, it'll happen when we're praying. The spirit will bring some conviction to our hearts and just feels like, oh man, cheap shot. You really had to bring that up, right? And a lot of us, when we feel that, we can feel this temptation to be like, okay, God, I'll do better. I'm sorry. I'll try harder. I'll work on it. Just get off my back. I'll work on it. Please leave me alone. Let me enjoy this song, right? We think that God's conviction is his desire to just take us and rub our noses in what we've done and say like, eh, do better. You see how bad that was? Don't do that again. And we think that's what God's conviction is, is it's a chance for God to shame us so that we'll do better. But this isn't God's desire at all. This isn't the point of conviction. When the Spirit sees these things in us, he doesn't feel this like, ew, gross. He feels this compassion for us, and he shows us what's in our own hearts out of compassion and love, because it isn't until we see what's in our hearts that God has the ability to begin to change it, to begin to heal it, to begin to transform it. So sometimes we have to see it for what it is. Sometimes I have to see my anger before I'm able to really allow God to heal it. Sometimes I have to see my lust or my pride or my selfishness before God's able to bring healing. And so he lets me see it in an act of compassion that feels really rough. Uh, The author of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12. He says that, listen, all discipline in the moment is painful. No child enjoys getting disciplined, right? But for those who have been trained by it, they see that it, it yields a heavy, like, fruit of righteousness in their lives. So the conviction of the Spirit in the moment is like, ow, that's like, it feels like a punch to the gut. And yet for those of us who have begun to see what it really is and the beauty of God's conviction, we see this is a good thing. God is showing me this thing that needs to be addressed, dealt with, and healed. And so we want to look at for just, just a moment at what he does. Once that's up there, once he's shown us what's in our hearts, what is it that the Spirit's doing? I think it's helpful for us to, sorry, I'll skip over that. It's helpful for us to, to remember what the ministry of the Spirit in our hearts is all about. In Romans 5, 5, so just a few chapters earlier than the passage that we're in, it says that God's love is being poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that as the Holy Spirit is there searching our hearts, can, praying for us, but bringing conviction, he's also there to pour God's love into our hearts, to give us love, love, love. Hey, this is an area of your heart that hasn't been dealt with. Here's an area of brokenness that needs to be looked at. Here's something that I want you to see. Also, you're loved. This isn't to shame you. You're loved. This isn't to make you feel bad so you do better next time. You're loved right there. I see it and you're loved. He's exposing the brokenness in our hearts so that he can just pour love into it. Not so that he can pour shame or manipulation, but so that he can pour love into the worst part about you. Those parts that we don't want anyone else to see. Those parts that make us go, oh, when we have to see it ourselves. He's like, I see it and I love you right there. And I'm gonna keep pouring my love right there. I'm gonna pour it, pour it, pour it. I've talked to some friends here, actually one last night, who were talking about, hey, you know what? Like when it comes to music, I do not like songs that repeat the same thing over and over and over again. You know, it's not a thing for me. And I've talked to a lot of people who feel that way, right? I just don't like songs that repeat stuff over and over again. There is one song that I know of, though, that I love that is just super repetitious. It's this song, I think it's called The Blessing. Um, And at the end of this song, if you're familiar with it, at the very end... The, the musician is singing, he is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. And they sing it over and over and over again. 
And when I hear it the first time, I'm always like, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep, John 3, 16. Yep, he's for me, great. And it's up here somewhere. And the second time, I'm like, yeah, he's for me. Third, fourth, fifth, and I'm just, he's for you, he's for you. And it's just, usually around the 20th time, it finally somehow gets down to my heart. And I just have to wrestle with what is actually being said here. He's for me? No, he can't be for me. If he saw me, if he knew me, if he actually was able to be in my heart and know who I really am, if he really saw all the selfishness and pride and anger, and if he really knew that, there's no way that he would be for me, that he would love me, that he would see that and have anything but disgust for me. There's no way. So that song, as those lyrics pound over and over again, he's for you, he's for you, he's for you, he's for you. Usually by the end of that song, I'm just completely shattered because it's the hardest thing for me to believe. From the time of Adam and Eve, I think it's been the hardest thing for us to believe, right? The easiest lie for us to believe is that he's not actually for you. You had to be for yourself because he's certainly not for you. To believe that he's actually for us, that he actually loves us, it is one of the hardest things to believe, but in my eyes, it's the most transformative truth that there is. People will ask all the time, like, why do we talk so much about God's love and we don't talk about all this other stuff that we could talk about? It's because his love is what transforms us. His love is what changes us. His love is what heals us. It's his love being poured into our hearts in these broken places that actually allows us to be transformed and changed. So when the Spirit brings conviction to our lives, it's not so that he can say, do better. It's so that he can bring it up so love can be poured on it so that it can be healed and we can grow. That's the whole point. But that's not all the Spirit does. The Spirit also does this. In the same chapter in Romans 8, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So he's not just pouring love into our hearts, but he's also reminding you of who you are and why you're loved. You're loved because you're his kid. You're not loved in some kind of like distant, far off, like, yeah, I love you because my son died for you and so I'm kind of contractually obligated to love you. No, you're loved because you are his child. You're his son. You're his daughter. When he sees you, he sees you with the same compassion and the same excitement that you would look at your own kids with. He sees you as his children. And so the Spirit is reminding us not only that we're loved, but he's also reminding us that you're his kids, and that's a secure position. You're not going to stop being his kid. You can't mess that up. You can't do enough bad stuff to all of a sudden where he's like, ah, get out of my house. That's not the relationship that God has with you. You are his child. And so the Spirit is daily pouring love into our hearts and reminding us of who we are. You are loved because you're his kid, you're secure, you're safe. And this is what actually begins to allow us to be changed and to be transformed and to become more and more like Jesus. Interestingly enough, it isn't all of our outward effort. It isn't trying to be better and having more disciplines and working harder at this. All that's good, like we said at the beginning. All those things are fine, but those things have a way of addressing the outside but not dealing with the inside. Like Jesus talked about the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs look real good on the outside. Inside, dead men's bones, right? So there's a lot of things we could do to try to clean up the outside, but the inside, this is the work of the Spirit, and the Spirit is at work changing us by convicting, bringing up sin, and by dealing with that sin, by reminding us of our love, that we're loved, we're forgiven, we're secure as his children. 
And so for us as Christians, we have the ability to either lean into that process that the Spirit is doing or to push away from it. When the Spirit brings conviction, we have the ability to either pay attention to it, acknowledge it, spend some time talking to him about it, or to push it away and be like, I don't want to deal with that right now. And depending on how we take it, which way we go, we're either going to be hindering our growth or we're going to be allowing it to to happen in its natural rhythm uh, that God has designed and that he's doing through the Holy Spirit. So my encouragement to you guys today is I think that it's beneficial for us as followers of Jesus to begin to find rhythms in our own life that allow us to hear the conviction of the Spirit and then to be reminded of the love that he has for us and to open ourselves to let his love come and heal those things that he's showing us. And so what I wanna do is I wanna just give you guys two passages to look at. These are two passages that I look at, not every day, but on a weekly basis when I take just into prayer with the Lord. Um, And there's many others out there, but I just wanted to share two of these with you because I found that these two passages help me to uh, focus myself. And what I'm gonna encourage you to do is I'm gonna encourage you to actually pray these passages of scripture, which may not be normal for everyone. A lot of times we'll read it, we'll try to understand it, but to actually pray it as if they're your own words can be a little uncomfortable because they're not my words. I didn't come up with these. Somebody else wrote these. But I wanna encourage you that instead of pushing away from that to say, no, let's just take these words that were written and let's step into the driver's seat, own them, and pray these words of scripture over ourselves and over our own hearts. So these are the two passages. If you wanna write them down, you're welcome to. The first passage I encourage you to, to take a look at and pray over yourself is this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now I will say, this is a dangerous prayer to pray. This is a dangerous thing to bring to the Lord because you're specifically asking him, saying, God, I know there's stuff in my heart that I don't see. I know that there's areas of sin and brokenness and pain and all this stuff here that I don't see and maybe I don't want to see. I'm asking you to show me. I'm asking you to give me a glimpse to see it for what it is. And so that's a very vulnerable, vulnerable question to ask God. It's much easier to ask God, dear God, please be with my Aunt Susie and help her, you know, recover from the cold that she has. Um, Dear God, please be with all of the children who don't have meals tonight. All these prayers that are good prayers, they can be very distant from God. We can do those kinds of things, have those kinds of prayers without really being vulnerable with him. A prayer like this, though, requires that we be vulnerable with God. This requires a certain level of trust that he's not gonna try to hurt us that he's not gonna use this as an opportunity like if you were to go to your spouse and be like, hey, I want you to tell me what's the most annoying thing that I do? Your spouse is probably gonna be like, oh, thank you, Lord. All right, I got a list of 20. How much time we got? Here we go. And they're gonna start hitting you with all the stuff, right? That's probably not a question you wanna just open up often to a spouse or to a friend or whatever. But to God, this is a question that we can go to him with daily believing that he's not going to use it as an opportunity to hurt us, but that this is going to aid us in our growth and becoming more like Jesus is asking him, okay, what is there? What don't I see? What are my blind spots? What's the brokenness? What's causing these things? I did this again, God. I don't know why I did that. Would you search my heart and show me what's there? And when you pray this, when you pray this in your own life, maybe give yourself some time, some space, to just reflect, to listen, to hear what he brings to your heart. Because we all know what conviction 
is like. It comes, and we recognize it when it's there. So wait. Wait for the Lord to begin to show you things. And when the Lord begins to bring conviction, without a doubt, the reaction, the response is gonna be one of pain. It's gonna be, oh, ouch. Yeah, yep, didn't wanna see that. Didn't wanna talk about that. Didn't wanna look at that. Oh, I was afraid that was what was gonna be there. Yep. So that's gonna be there. Our hearts are gonna react in this way. But then, I want you to follow that time with this passage in Ephesians. Again, praying this over yourself. May he grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. To take a moment and to pray over yourself, may I just be filled with the full knowledge of his love for me. As I sit here, as, as the book of Hebrews describes, cut open, naked and exposed before the judge, may I just be reminded of the full height and depth and breadth and length of the love that you have for me. That when you see this, when you see all of this brokenness, all these hidden thoughts and intentions in my heart, would I know the love that you have for me in this broken state? Would I know the love that you have for me even in my weakness? Would I know that love and would I be filled to the fullness with who you are? So that in the conviction of my sin, I don't walk away more defeated, more emptied, more pulled apart, but rather when I walk away from this experience of being convicted of my sin, would I feel more loved, more filled, more known, more full? Because this is what the Spirit desires to do in our lives. He doesn't just want your behavior to be changed. He doesn't want you to just do better ministry stuff. He doesn't want you to just be outwardly looking great and inwardly still just be confused and hurting and, and directionless. He wants for you to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants for you to live a life full of fruitfulness and joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control and all the things that come from his spirit living inside of us. He wants those things for us. And so he's inviting you and I into a deeper, deeper, more vulnerable relationship with himself that's focused a little bit less on externals and a little bit more on what's going on in our own hearts. Believing that when we abide in him, when we allow for him and his love to fill us, that it does result in fruit. It does result in things outwardly being changed. But he desires to bring us inward to fellowship with him. So guys, we have a, an amazing gift in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just some, I don't know, ghost, as we use the Holy Ghost, not just some um, phantasm, not just some mysterious part of the Bible that we know nothing about. He is our helpmate. He is there to, to encourage us, to fill us, to draw us closer to Christ. And so for us as Christians, we have the opportunity to lean into that as we pray to be acknowledging what he's doing in our lives and to take part in that. So my encouragement for you this week, guys, is once again, don't fear the conviction of the Spirit. Don't fear the God who loves you. Don't believe the lie that you're not wanted, that you're disliked, that he's annoyed with you. None of those things are true. You're his kid. He loves you. And his desire is to point to every single broken place in your heart so that he can say, yep, I'm gonna love you right there and I'm gonna love you right there. I'm gonna love you right there. And no one knows about that one. I do. I love you right there. 
The love of the Father is incredible. It's the only thing that transforms, the only thing that changes us. So let's not miss out on that love. Guys, if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, this sounds great, awesome, I don't know that I am loved by God, I don't know that I am his child, let me just say, I'd love to talk to you. Come talk to me after the service. I'd love to have some time just to share with you what it means to be a child of God. The truth is that none of us deserve it. None of us are here. None of us are God's children because we did anything to earn it. We've all been separated from God because of sin, but God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Not just that we would be forgiven of our sins, but so that we could be brought into his family, so we could be made his children. And so if you're here and you're like, I wanna be a child of God. I wanna be loved in that kind of way. I wanna be seen in my worst places and still loved by somebody please come talk to me. I'd love to share with you more about what it means to have this kind of a relationship with God. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I don't think I felt loved by God in years. I don't think that I've genuinely maybe ever even felt that he actually cared about me or loved me. The only way that I can conceptualize God thinking about me is that of disappointment. If that's you, I get it. I've been there for, I'd say, probably most of my life. I just want to encourage you that that's not a place that you have to be in alone. Uh, because the truth gets pounded into our heads a lot easier when there's other people walking through that with us. You can point to those lies and say, I know you believe that, I love you, that's not true. People who can remind us of the truth. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, I'm having a really hard time believing that God actually loves me. If you have a friend in this church, let me encourage you that before the end of the day is over, reach out to that friend, start a conversation about it. If you're new and you're just getting to know people, come on up, I'd love to talk to you at this service and just make a connection and have a few moments to pray together and talk about it. But I don't want for anyone to walk out of this place today with this notion that, well, God sees me for who I am and he's barely able to put up with it. Instead, I hope that we can all walk out of here believing that God sees us at our depths and he loves us deeply, even in our worst places, even on the very worst day of our lives. Guys, let's pray together. Father, we love you. We are not worthy of the love that you give for us, God, but we are your kids. And so we accept it and we cling to it. God, and we cry out to you and we ask that you would be doing this work of transforming us and making us more like Jesus, that you would be finding these broken places of our hearts and that you would be the one to bring transformation and healing and life. Lord, would you open us to your love for those of us who are closed off to it, for those of us who don't know how to be loved, how to receive love, Lord, would you begin to just break down those barriers and walls? Would you begin to bring healing to the broken places in our hearts. I just pray over this place and over these people, asking for a move of your spirit to bring freedom, to bring life, and you would fill these hearts with love and that you would use this place to bless this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.